Amen. Amen. There's just a peace that can come into our hearts at the confession of that truth. He is Lord. Jesus, you are Lord. Master, sovereign, final ruler, king, triumphant conqueror, however you would want to add to the meaning of that word, Lord Jesus, you are Lord. Now, there's a word today, there's a word today for some of you who woke up this morning being anxious. You found a familiar friend in worry. Maybe doubt and hesitation, second-guessing has become more the norm than an occasional visitor. The question is this. If you're feeling those things, who's that talking to you? Who's that talking to you? Because we find in the Scripture... In Romans chapter 15, verse 13, these words, now, right now, not in heaven, not back when we were younger and things weren't maybe as complicated, but now, may the God of hope fill you up with joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope, you may overflow, you may radiate hope. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul will write in another place, don't be anxious for anything, but in everything with prayer and specific requests with thanksgiving. You make a request known unto the Lord. You let your askings be given to the Lord. And the peace of God, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So when the Lord's talking, He's talking hope. When the Lord's talking, he's talking peace. He's talking joy. When these other things that can fill our minds, and if they fill our minds, they have a way of working into our emotions, and maybe it's the emotions first that work to the mind, and then from the mind we make choices and make decisions. But when those things are rising up in us, coming at us, It can make a big difference as to how long you live with those things if you understand who it is who's talking to you. Some of us, I think, have gotten so accustomed to being anxious, so accustomed to being worried that we can't enjoy today 
because we're scared to death about what happened to what may happen tomorrow or in the months and years to come. That's not God talking to you. That's not the shepherd speaking to his sheep. So the, the point of where we are this morning, where we are today, is to help us try to distinguish who it is who's talking to us. If it's the Lord, we need to listen to him. Do I have a witness? If it's the devil, we just need to tell him to mind his own business. We just need to step into the place of our authority as children of the Most High, humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, humble ourselves before the Lord, and then do what the Bible says. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But you know what? If the devil had never resisted, he'd just keep on doing what's been working. If he's never met with when he hits us with those anxious thoughts and those worrisome heavinesses and burdens and the confusion and stuff, if he's never challenged with the statement, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is Lord over my emotions. Jesus is Lord. If he's never faced, if he's never confronted, he's like a person. If a person stays on your case because you don't ever resist, stays on your case with what he wants or she wants or they want, and they're never challenged, then you can live your life being run over by strong people because they're never challenged. They've never learned what it is to be faced with somebody who is rejecting what they're selling. The devil is that way. So, so um, I want you to Walk with me again this Sunday, if you will, through, through a few places in the Scripture where I hope that it will result in some encouragement and, and that, that something will rise up within you saying, wait a minute, I've been beaten like a drum by the enemy, and, and I don't want to do that anymore. Well, what if the Lord is saying to his people, there is another way to live? There was another place beyond the place of having to assume that every day that I wake up, I'm going to be faced with the same anxious, worrisome, frightening things that can consume me and paralyze me and cause me to be so focused in one spot that I can't even appreciate what else God's doing. The point is, the hope is that we'll get it, that there is another way to live. I want to mention to you, Two or three ways how the devil, how the enemy will talk to us, how he works to plant thoughts in our minds that can, that can skew our emotions in the way that he wants us to be so that the choices will be made along the lines of what, of what he wants. Did you know that there is a part of you that has big ears I'm not, and I'm not talking about these ears. I'm talking about that there is a part of you and me that has really big ears bent toward what the devil would want to say, what the enemy would want to say. 
We are wired, there's a part of you and me that is wired to listen to what the enemy would want to say. If you have your copy of the scripture, and I hope you do, and you can find Galatians, the book of Galatians chapter 5, let me start reading in verse 16. Uh, this is important information. Paul writes, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. What's the flesh? The flesh is speaking of that part of you that when you came to know Jesus as Savior and Lord, that part of you that was not changed by the redeeming grace of Jesus, that part of you that has stayed in you, that, is, that will fight against the presence of Jesus inside you. It's the old you. It's the old me. It, it's spoken of as the flesh, but it's also called the old man or the old woman, the person we were before we came to know Jesus. So he says, walk by the Spirit and you'll not carry out the desire of the flesh, what the flesh would want us to do. For the flesh the old person, the old man, the old woman sets its desire against the spirit. And the spirit sets its desire against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. So that you may not do the things that you please. There are times when, when we're in combat, we're in conflict within. Not, not able to freely move in one direction or the other. Because the spirit will check us if the flesh is saying, come over here. And the flesh will try to check us if the Spirit's saying, come over here. Follow the Lord. Follow the Lord. Give, give, give your life to the Lord. Make your choices to please the Lord. And the flesh rears up and says, where's that going to get you? You know, God's going to hurt you. He'll make it hard for you. Don't, don't, don't be doing that. So we got these two voices on the inside of us. So he says in verse 19, now the deeds of the flesh, here, here's what will come out of the old man that's still in us, the old person that's still in us. Immorality, pulling us into sexual sin, impurity, various kinds of sensuality, idolatry, you know, worshiping something other than God, give, give, giving, you, giving you a pull in the direction to just make something else in your life bigger than the Lord's place as it should be in our lives. Sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousings, and things like these of which I forewarn you, as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things, who live in that place, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But then he says, but the fruit of the Spirit... The residue of the Spirit, the evidence of the Spirit at work in our lives is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We got big ears. There's a part of you sitting there. I know we're in church. We're probably clean for the most part physically, and I hope spiritually in a sense. But we're sitting here in church, and in every one of us, there is a part of us that doesn't believe God, that doesn't love God, that wants to live for ourselves, and that ever all the junk we got into before we came to know Christ, we're still capable of today, this morning, sitting in church because that old flesh is still alive in me and in you. 
Uh, some folks like to say, well, that, but that can't be. Jesus is in my heart. The writer of the New Testament is saying, Jesus is alive in your heart by his spirit, and the spirit is in conflict with the flesh, and the flesh is in conflict with the spirit. And the devil knows he's not going to do any good talking to the spirit of Jesus inside of us. So when he's going to try to pass a conclusion or get us to believe something or get us to feel a way, who you reckon he's going to be talking to? He will appeal to that part of us, that fallen part of us that will only absent us, only leave us when, when, when the body's buried in the grave and we're in the presence of the Lord. The only time we will ever be absent of this conflict of the flesh trying to work against us is when we leave this life and go into the presence of the Lord. But for now, for now, there can be a challenge. For now, the enemy inside of you Inside of you, there is a friend of the devil inside every one of us, a friend of the enemy. There is a great friend of and presence of the Spirit of the Lord inside of us. But Paul is saying here, we just need to understand that, that the deeds of the flesh are this, and the fruit of the Spirit is this. And it's, it comes down to a choice that we make. I love what he also says. It's one of my favorite verses in all the Scripture, Romans 8, 13, where Paul says, If by means of the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. Live abundantly. Live freely. Live with joy. Meaning that it's the power of the Holy Spirit at work inside of us that has the ability to cause those things that the flesh would like to create in us, the enemy would like to bait out of us, the power of the Holy Spirit has the ability to put to death the deeds of the flesh, to put to death these passions and these pulls and these tugs that come from the flesh. But folks, here, here's what I'm saying. If, 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 if there isn't any recognition of, of how the enemy will try to bait you and me, that using something that is native to us and try to incite those things and make them bigger. If we just assume that's just the way it is, that's just who I am. The, Paul, the, the, the writer of New Testament would say in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, any woman is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old things passed away and new things have come. What that means is what used to rule you doesn't have to keep ruling you. How is that not going to happen since there's a measure of that old person still inside of us? It will be by the power of the Spirit of Jesus flexing His muscles inside you and inside me, putting to death, not allowing to even to be born or to come forth those deeds of the flesh. That, that's a, it's a strategic truth that when we wake up with the place of anxiety, we, 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 we have to live with worry or there's, or there's fear, those kinds of things. That's not coming from God. So what if it is a part of you and me that the enemy knows works? He knows he can just raise a question and cause there to be fear or, or resentment or those things that, that would rise up. But when we see that that's not coming from God, that's not what the Lord wants for my life, that's, that's not an expression of the fruit of His Spirit inside my life, and therefore I have the ability to do two things. I can resist the devil and he will flee. And the second thing is I can call upon the Spirit of the Lord Jesus 
to put to death those things in me. Put them to death. Lord, I feel that emotion rising. I sense something coming up. But instead of just trying to battle it in our own power and mind control and just being around other people who aren't struggling with the same thing, we're realizing that that, that's, that's an innate issue with me. And Lord, I need you by your spirit to put that to death in me. When our, when our consistent prayer is, Lord, by the power of your spirit, bring this under your control. There's not anything that your foot does not stand on the top of. And I, I crown you as Lord afresh in my life that you would put your foot down and stamp down into death and not allow it to come forth, these expressions of the flesh. That, that, that's, that's an important thing to keep in mind. And that's, that's what we ought to do when those things rise up. Instead of just taking it, don't take it. Don't take it. Don't keep taking it. Don't keep taking living in a place of anxiety or worry or resentment or unfor- whatever those things would be. But, Lord, it's here. I know this isn't you. And I realize the devil's got a friend in me because this is what I used to be. This is where I've been. This is what I've, I can, a part of me can, can gravitate toward. But I'm asking you by the power of your spirit to put to death those emotions, those desires, those fears in my heart. You say, well, I don't know if it'll work because you hadn't tried it, you know. And we try it once, think that's going to be good for the whole year. It may be something in particular issues we got to stay after and stay after and stay after. And understand the power of the Lord to put something to death so that we can know the power of the Lord to bring something to greater life and greater freedom. He kills, but he also raises to life. All right, now the, other, the other thing, that, that, that's how the devil can plant stuff in us. That's how he can try to talk to us through your flesh, through the old person. But the antidote for that is the power of the Spirit in those specific areas, and, and we, we must pray specifically of where it comes up, where it surfaces. The other one is, that this is in Ephesians chapter 2. Now, let, let, me, let me read down through some of these words for us. If he's writing to the believers, and you were dead, he says, chapter 2, verse 1, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. You walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. The course of this world is set by the prince of the power of the air. That's another name for Satan, for the devil, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh and indulging the desires of, our, of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, has made us alive together with Christ by grace, are you saved? What he's saying is another, another place the devil speaks to us. The devil tries to plant ideas and, and formulate conclusions in our minds is through the culture around us, through the, through the course of this world. The course of the world, Paul said, it, it says, is set by Satan, is set by the devil, the prince of the power of the air. That, that he, 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 he moves with his agenda in mind in order to shape the direction of the postures, the belief systems of people. Uh, it, it, it is, it's, it's reaching something of an epidemic, and I'm not talking about the, 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 the coronavirus. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the absenting 
from mainstream news and news outlets by many people, not just Christian people or Bible-following people, but just people in general. Because it can seem as if so much that is put out in mainstream news is so overwhelmingly negative and pessimistic. You come to the conclusion that, that, that everything that is going on around us is, is moving in, a, in, in the direction that, is, that would be contrary to what the Scripture would say is right in the sight of God. And there's one report after another report of just further departure from, from norms and decency and right in the sight of God. And, and how there can be the explosions of, of, of wickedness and darkness and evil. And, and it's as if there's no checking of it. And the result can be hopelessness settles in on the people of God and, and upon folks who would just feed off of that according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Therefore, lots of folks are just making the choice. I'm not listening to it anymore. It doesn't leave me in a hope-filled place. It doesn't leave me in a positive place. Therefore, I just don't ever push the, turn the button on and let, let, let that influence have its way with me. The enemy will attempt to persuade you as a follower of Jesus of things directly opposite of the heart of Jesus, and he will use the culture and voices in the culture to do that. That's why we are called to shine as lights in the darkness of the world that we're not necessarily to expect that everything out there is going to applaud the message of Jesus or welcome the message of truth, but we are sent as his missionaries, sent as his ambassadors to declare the truth, not to buy the lies of the world, to be influenced by their conclusions, but to speak the hope that is ours in Christ Jesus. I, you, you, I get around some folks sometimes, and they know the Lord, and they can quote chapter and verse of all kinds of verses, but you just get around them, and they just seem so pessimistic. They just seem so, so negative. You just feel like you need to pull up a chair and say, would you just sit down and rest a while? You're worn out worrying. Let me tell you something. Glory room in heaven is not worn out with worry. There are things down here that displease the heart of heaven, but God has a plan for this planet. God has a plan for the United States of America, and he is not finished with it. He will do in his timing and in his way what pleases him. And we are to be borne along by the truth, by the hope that is in Christ Jesus. And when you find yourself being shut back, pushed back, shut down by some of these things, even culturally, or even things from the flesh. That we, we, instead of just taking it, do something about it. Stop bathing in that stuff. Stop just agreeing. Well, this is just the way I am. It's the way I used to be. But bless the Lord by the power of His Spirit. It is not who I am and who you are anymore. When sin comes, He convicts us. And that's what we need Him to do. Lord, show me my sin. Show me where I've buckled here and given in. But he doesn't leave us at the place of condemnation, conviction or condemnation. He brings the message of the truth of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to wash and cleanse and set free and take us back into a place of moving forward in life again. We're, we, we're all sinners. We're all sinners saved by grace. 
And when we understand that the enemy is going to have a friend in me, and I don't, want, I, I don't want him to have any success with that friend in me, so I'm praying, Lord, by your spirit, will you keep putting to death the deeds of the flesh? And then, Lord, will you open my eyes? Will, sh- will you show me where the culture around me, the voices around me are shaping and influencing me in a way that is not your heart? And give me the ability to just turn it off, walk away, do with that. Do you realize that the sun is going to set this evening and rise in the morning, whether you watch this afternoon's news or not? Whether you have to weigh in on everything out there and carry the burden of the world, that's not ours to worry with. In the Lord Jesus Christ, there is hope and there is peace. He says, in everything give thanks. In everything give thanks. Can I say that one more time? In the middle of, standing in the middle of, right now in the middle of, whatever it is, give thanks. Why? Because we're thanking the one who has said, I'll never leave you and I will never forsake you. The one who said, I have the power to cause all things to work together for good in your life because you love me and are called according to to my purpose. So so those are some ways that he can speak to us. And and if if you just, if there's anxiety and there's heaviness, there's negative, there's worry, Check what's feeding that. That's not coming from God. So if you're letting yourself be fed by things that produce that in you, then maybe you just need to quit eating at that table. And and, and, and eat at the banqueting table of the Lord, where it is His goodness and His mercy and His life and His power and His faithfulness. I'm not saying that we stick our head in the sand and that we don't know what's going on around us, that we are culturally irrelevant. That's not it. But what I am saying is that God, through Jesus, alive in us, has a message of hope no matter what the circumstances are. Why do we even need Jesus alive in us if we are as negative, pessimistic, and downheartened as the rest of the world? What difference has Jesus made in a life if we're just as depressed, just as negative, just as hopeless as the rest of the world? But now may the God of hope fill you up with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The testimony, the evidence of the Spirit's life in us is when in the, in the places where there should be an absence of hope because of the circumstances, there remains hope alive in our hearts. Where we should be freaking out, instead of that, the peace of God is guarding our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Some folks would say, well, I just don't think that'll work for me. I just don't think that's possible. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Now hold that thought. Because when we say that, it's not going to work for me. I know God has said it. I know he's promised it, but it doesn't work for me. What we're saying back to the Lord is the one who stepped out on nothing, looked into the face of nothing and said, let there be, and everything came into being. We're saying to the God who says, nothing is impossible with me. Yes, Lord, there is something impossible with, me, with you, and it's me. And you can't take, keep this anxiety away from me. You can't do these things. That's just the way I am. And the Lord would remind us, if any man is in Christ, any woman is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things are passed away. 
Behold, new things have come. The cry of our heart needs to be when we find ourselves sucked into those old places. Lord, I want you, I'm asking you, whatever is meant by me being a new creation, I want four tablespoonfuls of it. In fact, just pour the whole jug down my throat. I need to be new from my toenails to the top hair on my head. I need the newness that you're talking about. I'm not doubting that you can do it. I'm just doubting that I may have faith enough to believe. So, Lord, in the absence of my, in the place of my faithlessness, will you go ahead and do what's in your heart to do? There's some folks battling with specific things. And been battling with specific things for a long time. You've tried to change yourself. You've tried to copy other people who don't have that problem. You've tried all kinds of self-help things. Tried all kinds of things. And it hadn't worked. And so we can just give up that I'm doomed. I'm, 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 I'm destined for this. There's no way around it. When the truth is, that's not Satan. That's not Jesus talking to you. That's Satan lying to you. You'll never be any different. You're always going to be the same way you were. That's not Jesus. And if you know it's not him, and you can turn away from those voices and turn to the Lord, Lord, I, I want your truth. Make your truth real in my heart in this area of my life, in these areas of my life. Make your truth. Make your presence. Show your strength. I'm just telling you, folks, it'll make a difference. When you realize who it is who's talking to you, in the negative, defeated, hopeless places of your life. The Lord doesn't speak hopelessness. The Lord does not speak eternal defeat. The Lord speaks hope. He speaks hope. Okay, so that's, that, that's, that's how the enemy would speak. But I'm going to just say again, bring back again this, this, this aspect. Why would the enemy want to discourage you? Some would say, well, I'm no big deal. I'm no master, master player in the scheme of things. Why would the enemy even bother me? Here's why. Here's why. God has a plan for your life. God has an assignment for you. God has an assignment for your life. And along with that assignment comes authority to live out his purpose for you in that place. He has an assignment for you. There comes an authority to live out that assignment. But then there also will be given to you abilities, abilities, abilities that you may not naturally have in order to function with authority in that place of the assignment where you are. And then there's a fourth one. And this is the one that Satan, if he can do whatever he's going to do to so discourage you that you won't press on, it is because there is an accomplishment or a series of accomplishments, supernatural accomplishments through your life. As you exercise the abilities he's giving you, as you stand in the place of that authority and you accept that spot of assignment that he's given you in place, he wants your place. Satan wants your place in a family. He wants your authority as a servant of the Lord in business. And the assignment that 
the Lord has given you in the place where you work, in the scheme, in the, in the sphere of influence that you have. Satan wants you. Remember last week, we said, well, how come when, 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 the, when, the, when the devil went to the garden and worked in the garden, why didn't the serpent go after the elephant? Because the elephant's the biggest. Why didn't he go after the lion? The lion's the baddest. Why did he go after the man? Why did he go after the woman? Because he wanted their place of authority in the garden. And all those years later, when Jesus is before, is being tempted by the enemy, Luke chapter 4, and other spots where that, the temptations for those 40 days at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry are listed. Satan said, took him up to a high place. If you'll bow down before me and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the earth, all the domains of the earth, because they have been given to me, and I give them to whoever I choose to give them. How could that be true? Except that in the garden, when the serpent seduced Eve, she fell, Adam fell, there was the giving away of the place of authority that God had given. Jesus said, or the Lord had told, and it could have been the, the Son of God speaking this to these, to, to the two, the Adam and Eve in the garden. It could have very well have been him, a pre-Bethlehem appearance as the representative of God, giving to those two the authority to rule over the garden. Even, you know, even, even lions and bears were not eating flesh at that time. They were grazing like cattle. There was no killing. There was no destruction. There was no disease. There was no sickness of any kind. But when Satan took the place, took the authority that Adam had, he implemented his plan into the human race. And from that time on, there has been sickness and disease and wars and, and, and all manner of things, evil and death. He wants your place. Satan wants your place, Father, over your children. He wants your place, Mom, in the family, giving the leadership, the direction that you're able to give. You, you, you expand it beyond that to the individual, to the person. Satan wants your place. He wants your authority. God has opened the door for you to, to work in a company or, or to be a, a, a part of a group to wield influence. Satan's desire is to seduce you, to twist you, to discourage you. He, he, he got Adam and Eve because of sin. He can do that with us. We are disqualified at certain points of influence because of things that we've done. But also, it's that place of discouragement. That, that if he can just say to you, you're worthless, you're nothing, it's not going to work, this isn't going to happen for you, then in the place that God has given us, we back away. We back away. And the void that we leave because we've backed away is filled by an active personage, none other than Satan himself. He wants your place. Now, you watch how that's happened in family lines. You watch how heads of family lines have, have given away their place, checked out, walked away from what the Lord has said covering is to be in a family line. And as a result of that, all manner of devastation for generations flows down through. 
until somebody somewhere says back to darkness and to the Lord, it stops with me. I'm not buying the lies. I'm not yielding to the intimidation. Jesus Christ is my Savior and Lord. I am a new creation in Him. And everybody who comes after me is going to have that influence showered upon them, not the former influence that had darkened a family line for generations. I want to show you, and out of the last book of your, of your Bible, the book of Revelation, book of the Revelation, chapter 3, Jesus is speaking. He's been raised from the dead. This is Many years later, after the early church has been formed, all, all of the apostles, more than likely except for John, the youngest, had gone on to heaven. He, he, was, he was the last one still alive mainly toward the end of the first century A.D. Jesus appeared to him in a vision, and that is what the book of the Revelation is, the recording of the vision of Jesus to John. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 7, Jesus says these things. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write to the messenger or the pastor, maybe it was literally an angel assigned to that church in the, in the city of Philadelphia, write. And then Jesus speaks these things about himself. He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, you ha I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Now, what that's saying is Jesus is saying to the church at Philadelphia, I hold in my hand the key of David. That was to be representative of the key to the doors of earthly opportunity. I open doors of earthly opportunity and certainly spiritual doors of opportunity. And when I open them, nobody can close them. I shut doors of opportunity and nobody can open them. I've watched your life. I've seen your life. I've seen how you do what you do. And I have chosen to set before you an open door which no man can close. Very key, very vital information here. I've set before you an open door which no man can close. Nobody else can close the door. But out of intimidation, out of fear pressing against us, we can choose not to walk through the door. Every verse in the Bible, Satan knows. He can quote more scripture than any 50 of us stacked on top of each other trying to complete the Bible by memory. He knows what's in this book. He knows that when God has ordained an open door for an individual, he can't shut the door. He can't close down the door of opportunity, but here is what he can do. Discourage, intimidate push back with threats so that the one who has the open door, who has been decreed, this is your open door, cannot walk through the open door out of fear 
out of hesitation, out of whatever. That's why Paul would say, at least a part of why Paul would say to Timothy, 2 Timothy 1.9, the Lord has not given us a spirit of intimidation, but a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. The Lord will not give us a spirit that intimidates. It, it intimidates and causes us to be afraid and fear and quail and hesitate and be shy about something. The Spirit of the Lord will put the sense of His power in you, the knowledge of His power that what God says He's going to do, what He starts He's going to finish, what the enemy tries to compete against, the Lord way overcomes because of the power he gives us the Spirit, convincing us of the power of God, convincing us of the love of God, that we are loved by Him, and that because He loves us, we're able to hold steady, stay fast, not be, not be knocked around and, 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 and running in reverse because we don't know if God still loves us anymore. Instead of the intimidation that the enemy will use, the spirit of fear that the enemy will use, the Lord more than compensates with that. By in the place where he's assigned you, the sense of his power alive in you, his power working around you, his power going forth through you, and the sense that you are loved by him, that he loves you. He's not going to let you slip through his grasp. He's not going to stop liking you and start liking somebody else better. He's not a fickle lover. He loves you. He loves you. He'll never forsake you. And then a sound mind, a sound mind. He gives us the spirit of power and love and a sound mind. The sound mind meaning that, that we're, we're not just bounced all over the place mentally or emotionally. There's a solidity to our lives. You can put two steps in front of each other. You can keep walking instead of just being scared to death and hesitating and worrying and wondering. The Lord's given us a spirit of power. He's given us a spirit of his love working in our hearts that enables us to love other people and us to love him back. And he gives us a sound mind, a steady mind. Satan, on the other hand, he's got all kinds of boo. Boo. If you don't do this, this is going to happen to you. The, the threats, the intimidations. But the Lord opens the door says, here's the open door at a company, in a family, in an opportunity. And it is to be expected that if the Lord opened the door, the enemy's not going to like him opening the door. Instead of us just being so, so amazed that people, some people don't like me for, for being in this new place, or, or these, these, this is such an impossible situation that I could never do this. We should instead lay hold of and, and embrace. The best part about it is that God opened the door. And, and if he's opened the door, don't you reckon he knows what's behind that door? Don't you reckon he knows, that it's, he knows what it's going to take to accomplish the mission he's put you for through that door? That's why we say he gives an assignment. But in the place of an assignment, he will give you authority. Now, that doesn't mean you never listen to anybody else. A multitude of wisdom or multitude of counselors produces wisdom. Yes, there's a listening. But a dad is not supposed to give his authority as the head of the household, as the one who covers the family, to anybody else. Not your job. Nothing. Don't, don't let me get started on all that. 
But if he's given you authority, Satan wants that authority. Satan loves absentee dads because they vacated their place of authority. And instead of there being a man who would stand up before his family sees his family getting beaten up and challenged in various ways, his wife being under various concerns and needs, and the, the father in his right place would realize where that's coming from. That's not coming from God. And the Lord's given me the place, the assignment, the opportunity to stand and resist the devil for the sake of my family. To fight with everything a man has for the things that God's given him. Using the authority that the Lord has given. I, I speak that out into the commercial realm. Out into the, out into the professional realm. I want to get into a little deeper look at the man Nehemiah. Maybe we won't be able to do much of that today, but, but maybe, maybe next Sunday. That whole story about Nehemiah's life, there, there, it wasn't a Sunday school class. It wasn't a Bible study group. It was a completely secular setting. But God picked Nehemiah out, put it in Nehemiah's heart to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He gave Nehemiah the favor of a totally pagan king to allow him to do that. And he goes back, and he steps into a place, and the city is in absolute devastation. The walls had been torn down. There were no rocks, no stones stacked on top of each other. The people that he was assigned to, to, to encourage and get them to do the work, they were going to need to. He couldn't do it all himself. They didn't know him from Adam's house cat. They didn't know him or anything about him. Nehemiah had never been anything other than the cupbearer to the king. That meant that he'd take whatever the portions were of, of, of wine or liquids or food, he would deliver them to the king after he had personally drunk some of it or eaten some of it to make sure there was no poison in the, in the substances. That's all a man had ever done. But God put a dream in his heart. And it would be a piece of the, the plan of God. If Nehemiah hadn't done what he did, we wouldn't have a Jerusalem today that we would know is geographically located in the Holy Land. Nehemiah didn't have the whole plan, but he had a part of it. The walls need to be built. God put that in his heart. God gave him favor with the king. He makes his way there into that place. And immediately, he's met with levels of discouragement, levels of opposition. The first and most noticeable thing was the total disarray of the city, and in particular the walls. The city couldn't be protected because it had no walls behind which to fortress itself. But then there, were, there was that, that, that emotional part of the people. They, they, they were discouraged. They'd been there for some of them nearly 100 years, and there had, never, there had never been anything more than just small shelters for them to hide in, 70 thousand people maybe there, but they had never, never been energized to rebuild the city. They'd been released from Babylon, and they came back, but, but they were still an unwalled city. They were, they were pillaged by all sorts of opposition and enemy forces until Nehemiah showed up. It, it was materially, it was in shambles. Emotionally, they were scared and beaten down, the people. Politically, it was, it was in a place where, where the Samaritans had rule over this area of, of that Jerusalem would be built in. The Arabs would come from the other side, 
and it, was, it became a, a major political football in, in trying to keep Nehemiah from doing what the Lord had put him there to do. Now, I want to just read you one little section out of Nehemiah. We may come to some more of it next week, but, but I want you to find this one. And if, you, if any of this is resonating in your hearts and you're in a place of business, you're in a place on a family line, whatever it would be, but there's something about this that seems like that this is all about you and where you are. I want to encourage you by yourself, take your Bible and just camp out in the book of Nehemiah read through, especially those first eight or 10 chapters. There'll be so much encouragement here. You, you, you'll, you'll find yourself in these pages. So we look at, at chapter two, Nehemiah chapter two, and let me read starting in verse 17. This is after he is there in Jerusalem, gathered the leadership um, such as it was around him to speak to. Then I said to them, verse 17, you see the bad situation we are in that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words, which he had spoken to me. Then they said, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. Back to the play. God's assignment for Nehemiah. God's authority. God's authority, God's authority was upon him to begin to implement the plan of the Lord. But then the abilities, and this is so striking. Again, Nehemiah hadn't been anything other than God just carry a, carry a, a glass and a bowl and set it before the king. That was it. We have no history of him having any administrative assignment, any military assignment, any logistical assignment other than just a one cup and, and one plate. But here in the place where God's put him, he becomes a man he'd never been before. He was enabled to do something he had, he had no history of doing. And he didn't just attempt it, he was successful in the doing of it. He, he, we, we don't have any sense that he had to worry about anybody else being happy with him other than the king. Now there were hundreds, if not thousands of ones that were finding favor within him, within Nehemiah, because of the hand of the Lord upon him. Don't, don't you ever say, I can't do it, or I've never done that before. If God's put you in a place where he wants you to be, he'll give you the authority to carry it out, and as we say, he will give you the abilities to do what he's put you there to do. Blow your mind, blow your hat in the creek, and what you find out that you're able to do not because you got it from a book somewhere necessarily, though that's not bad. God can take us to books to teach us things. But it can also be that he just, he just shows you. He just tells you. He just gives you an idea of what will work and how to do it. He will do that. But then here, this is verse 19. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard it, heard what we were doing or going to do, they mocked us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you were doing? This idea of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Are you rebelling against the king? They questioned his motives. So I answered, now won't you look at this? Everybody who's listening who may think that this is having some application to your situation in his life, listen to these words of authority. Listen to this man standing in the place of the authority that God gave him, and it was confirmed by the king. So I answered them, 
and said to them, the God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we are his servants. We, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion, right, or memorial in Jerusalem. We're here because God put us here. But these intimidating words are not from God. They are from the devil. And we renounce, reject. You have no right to stand here. You have no right to give advice. You have no right to give counsel. We renounce your words, and we're carrying on with what God will give us success in the doing of. Do you hear that? Paul will remind us we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. The problem is not people. The issue can be is the forces of darkness behind the people. And as I said last week, the devil doesn't understand anything other than a bigger gun barrel. He, he, he doesn't, he's not intimidated by us stomping and hollering and, 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 and trying to come up with some plan in the natural. The only thing he understands is the authority of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Others around you in your workplace may not understand that. But I'm telling you, when the veil comes off, and light fills your heart, and you understand that you're in that place, even in a secular spot, by the assignment of God. You are to know Satan is not going to want you there. He, he will try to orchestrate movement against you, complication of things around you. And you do your best in the natural, but you find yourself kneeling down by the side of you with your office door closed and your head in your hands and on your, in your desk chair. And you're just praying, I plead the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in this place, from this office, out throughout all the realms of influence in this business. I speak the name of Jesus. You walk the hall to the water cooler. I speak the name of Jesus. I refuse every lie. I refuse everything the enemy would do to try to push me back. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not moving by the power of Jesus alive in me. I'm not running. The Lord opened this door, and I ain't running. The Lord opened this door, and I'm not chickening out. The Lord opened this door, and I will stand here and believe him for the breakthrough that he is, has in the hearts and minds of people that you're going to work with, that you're going to work around. When... When Nehemiah left, left Babylon to go to, to Jerusalem, to what was left of Jerusalem, again, he didn't know anybody. Some of you have been put in places where you didn't know anybody before you got there. But God has a heart for the souls of those people. And he has you there to lift his name up by your example. Maybe not always by your words, but by the purity of your life. And when, when trouble comes knocking at their doors, they'll find you, they'll look to you, because you're not like everybody else. You hadn't freaked out like everybody else. There's a joy, a spring in your step, a positive outlook on things, and they're going to want that, and they find you. And then in a private place, you're able to say, you want to know what's happened to me? You want to know why there's a difference in me? I'll give you one name. Don't holler like that. Don't, don't holler at them like that. I'll give you one name, and it's the name Jesus. It's the name Jesus. It's the name Jesus. I've received him into my heart and my life, and he's brought some things to the inside of me that I never had before. When I used to freak out, used to live in a place of discouragement, I've found the sense of his presence and the strength of his life and knowing that he loves me. And I can rest in the future because I know who holds the future. And if you want, if you want some of that, then what you need is you need Jesus in your heart.
You may be, some of you may be in a company for one person. You may be in a company for one person, and it may be the custodian. It may not be the head of the whole corporate structure. It may be. Would God do that? Would God do something? How do you put the value on a single human soul? For God so loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. I want to tell you, don't, don't, know, know, know that if in the place of God's opening a door, providentially, supernaturally for you, that, that there, you, you get hit with this discouragement and these impossible circumstances and, and all kinds of things. Just understand, that's not the Lord talking to you. Get that clear. The Lord's not going to try to scare you out of the place that he's put you. So who is? The devil will. And so he, he generates opposition, threats, fear, hesitation. It's not working. It's not, this isn't going to count. One, one of these guys said, well, they build, those Jews are building that wall, but if a fox crawled up on, that, on the top of that wall and just shook real good, it would knock the whole wall down. They were mocking them, making fun of them. But Nehemiah, and you'll find this as you read this book, Nehemiah repeatedly understood where the opposition and the intimidation was coming from. And he wouldn't listen to it. He would reject it. And he would keep on. He would keep on. He would keep on. There, there hadn't been a man or a woman worth either of their salt in the life of the church. And really, I, you could probably put this in any, any, any sphere of, of, of movement and advancement in the human race. But particularly is this true in the church. There hasn't been anybody who's really counted for anything much if they have not also had to match those two things. God called me here, and here comes the opposition. God called me here, here comes the opposition. But I stand because the Lord put me here, and the Lord will give me success, and I receive His help, His benefit, His fighting. See, if we, if we check out too quick, we, we just don't know how good a fighter the Lord is. If, if, we, if, we, if we chicken out and we back up, and the Lord was just saying, you stand there and watch me fight for you. This battle is not yours, this is mine. And we miss the chance of seeing God come through. You say, well, it looks so hopeless. Let's, let, let's talk about hopeless. Let's talk about the walls of Jericho. Let, let, let's, let's talk about the Red Sea. Let's talk about the man 38 years flat of his back, hadn't walked in his life. Let's, let's talk about impossibility. And Paul would say, I, my, my prayer is that I would come to know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Knowing Jesus in his power to raise the dead. Not just heal the sick, but raise the dead. Lord, I thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for the blessed privilege of being with your people around these verses and truths in your scripture. Now, Lord, specifically I'm asking to make your presence known and real and strong inside the hearts and minds of the ones who are considering just giving up, just backing out, just quitting. Lord, I pray that you would, by your Spirit, cause there to be a wonderful season of refreshing from the presence of the Lord, reminding them what you said 
reminding them of how you opened the doors, reminding them of the favor that you've given in many ways, even though there can be some measure of opposition at the current time. I pray, Lord, that we will live through this season in our lives and come out the other side with a fresh testimony of how strong you are and how faithful you are and how you will complete what you've started. That is our prayer. In the name that is above every other name, would you say his name with me? The name Jesus. The name Jesus. The name Jesus. Amen. Amen. Prayer partners, I want to invite you to join me here as we close this, this time together. I just, um, I want to say thank you to so many of you that pray for the ministry here. You financially help, support, do as the Lord prompts you to do. We just bless you for that. I, I was handed a, just a notice that this morning in the early service at the 9 o'clock, we had folks listening from Pakistan, from Brazil, from Florida, from Alabama, from North or South Dakota, from Georgia, and a few folks even in Texas. And the hope, we pray, the hope of the Lord going out, sheep being fed, that's our prayer, and Jesus being high and lifted up. So thank you for your helping us in those, in those ways. There's something we can pray with you about. You're part of our streaming family, Alamo City, Pastor Walker at alamocity.org. Just a brief statement of how we can pray with you, an email, and we will take that very, very seriously. I'm looking into the faces of some champions. I don't guess there's ever been a champion that didn't at some point in time want to quit and a workout want to quit in a contest but somehow some way they didn't quit and they stayed with it you stay with what God's called you to do don't 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 listen to the lies to the contrary you keep your eyes on him keep doing the last thing you know he told you to do and you watch him bless you watch him make a way amen amen better quit God bless you. God bless you. Let's stand together. Prayer partners, if you'll join us here. We're, we're ready to pray for you. Bless you. Thank you for being a part. Jesus.